Well, today I want to talk to you about the meal that changes the world. And we're going to talk about communion. A little girl, her mom and dad wanted her to observe communion. So they kept her in church with them one Sunday morning. I was reading this. I can't remember which magazine it was, but they kept her in church with them Sunday morning. And when they received communion, their little girl had given their heart to Jesus, so they let her receive the wafer and the juice. And she didn't really understand it all yet. Because after church, she looked at her mom and dad, and she says, it was good, but the snacks in children's church are a whole lot better than what you guys get in big church. I'm not sure we always fully appreciate the Lord's Supper. It's a powerful, powerful experience. I've told you before, it's my favorite service of the month. And this week while I was praying, I was coming around, I was walking, as my custom is, when I pray. And I was in this corner of the church, and I just really sensed the Holy Spirit speaking in my heart about changing the message for today. So I put the one I had prepared in oil, and that always scares me a little bit because I'm a very note-intensive guy. And so I just began thinking and writing and praying and thinking and writing and praying. And um, it also affects the whole team up here because of how the service is going to go. So I met with the staff and told them I was changing. And yesterday, Pastor Rick came into my study and he said, you know, I think this is really good. He said, I think that sometimes we take the Lord's Supper for granted, what it means and what happens when we take the Lord's Supper. And so for a few minutes this morning, I want to talk to you about the Lord's Supper, and then our climbers are going to come back in, and they're going to join us today. It's an unusual meal. Here you have a Savior whose life changed the world. And when the Romans crucified somebody, they crucified them naked. So Jesus went to the cross, beaten, bloodied, so weak that at the end they had to take a tourist named Simon and compel him to help Jesus carry the cross. He's surrounded by people that are mocking and jeering him. He saved others. Let him save himself. If you've ever watched the movie The Passion, you know how excruciating the crucifixion, how excruciating and agonizingly Jesus died bit by bit. When I first visited Jerusalem, when I visited where Jesus would have been beaten, and when we went to Golgotha, it was a whole new experience for me, an appreciation for Calvary. We walked into the garden tomb, and if you come into my office, I could show you the little olive wood cup that I took communion out of. But people, and myself included, have often wondered, how did someone who died in such shame, someone who died in such ignominy, how did he become who he was? History has changed because of that. Even people who, in a politically correct world, use the before common era, BCE instead of BC, still looking back to the death of Jesus Christ that changed the whole world. I thought you guys were in Turkey. Got canceled, okay. Brad and Dinah were supposed to be on a missions trip this week. I could take you to Medina to the green dome where Muhammad is buried. And in the world's eyes, Muhammad was very successful. Muhammad built a kingdom, a political kingdom, a powerful kingdom. He died a very rich man. He died with what some people think would be the ultimate success, wives and children, 
political power. I could take you to Khufu, China. And I could take you there to Confucius's palace and all of the other palatial buildings surrounded where Confucius died in his bed in peace. And people still come to worship this man. I could take you to his grave there. I could take you to Kushinagar, India, where the Buddha died very rich, very powerful and influential, and there he was cremated, and his followers gathered up what was left, a few bones, some teeth, and they buried them. You see, the world's rich and famous, they build spectacular tombs. When Becky and I were in Rome, we went through the Vatican, and there were these palatial, beautiful, and I mean, they're works of art. They're stunning crypts that the popes are buried in. Some of the popes would actually go and spend the night in their crypts. Isn't that kind of eerie? But they wanted, I mean, they were building such an expensive crypt to be buried in, they wanted to appreciate the beauty, so they'd go spend the night in there. I promise you, I will never go spend the night in a casket. Promise you. I'm trying to stop laughing. I watched people kneeling and praying to dead popes. I stood there, my heart breaking. So finally I told Becky, I said, I just want to see how good he's preserved. So I got in the line and I knelt down and I was looking. And all of a sudden I get tapped on the shoulder by one of those guys in pajamas and says, go, because I wasn't praying to him. I watched people pray to idols and make sacrifices to idols. And it breaks my heart. Because man cannot save man. And that's what this meal is all about. So let's be honest. The further and further the culture that we live in, and I love our nation, I love this world, but the further and further our culture wanders away from the cross, the further we distance ourselves as a culture, the further that politicians and educators and business leaders want to distance themselves from the shame of the cross. And that's how the Bible describes it. And I don't say that with hostility, but I say that because the church is oftentimes tempted to follow the culture rather than to stay at the cross. And you will never, ever have influence until you are willing to stand at the cross and say, I'll not be moved. Until you're willing to stand for what the cross says, because the further the world gets away from the cross, the more confused the world becomes about what is the real meaning of life? And it's why there's so much redefinition or attempt at redefining what life is. And I promise you, it will never bring joy and it will never bring lasting happiness and it will never bring eternal salvation. So why in a world that has distanced itself from the cross, why would anybody want to follow a man who had been crucified naked. Why would anybody want to follow a Savior who had died in shame according to the world? Why would anybody want to follow this man who could not afford his own tomb but was buried in another man's tomb? I mean, if you look at Confucius, it looks like Confucius has a message for your life. If you look at Muhammad, it looks like maybe Muhammad has a message for your life. 
If you look at Buddha, they all died the way we would like to die. I used to tell Becky, I want to die preaching the gospel. I want my last breath to be, have you given your heart to Jesus? And she says, honey, that is so stupid. She actually used that word. You know she doesn't like that word. She said, you will scare everybody to death. I hope to scare the you-know-what out of them, you know. I don't want them to go to hell. Hell was what I was thinking. You're thinking something else. Hell was what I was thinking. I said, I want to see them come to Jesus. So she says, just pray you die like every other man. Die in bed. That's not how our Savior died. And communion is how Jesus says, I want you to remember me. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning because Jesus' death and Jesus' suffering changed everything. It changed history. It's changed my life. It's changed your life. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, hear me. The death and resurrection of our Lord can change your life. And he'll make something wonderful, eternal, and loving, and good, and kind, and powerful. Don't be put off by the cross. But as the Apostle Paul says, glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. This is the Passover. It's what we call the Last Supper. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take eat, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then they sang a hymn. That would have been Psalms 115 through 118. They, those are called the Halal Psalms. It's what the Jewish folks sing during the Passover. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. And on the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. And Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. You will deny that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. And would you read this last sentence with me? And all the others vowed the same. Lord, I pray for all of us that as we approach this sacred time, that God, what Pastor Rick has said, will not be true any longer. That we will not take, because it's the second Sunday of the month, for granted the sacredness of what we hold in our hands. Thank you for a staff, Lord, who were willing to say, yes, we'll, we'll make whatever changes that need to be made. And thank you for people who lost an hour of sleep last night who have gathered to hear your word. I ask you now that through the preaching of the word, you will sanctify, you will bless, you will heal, you will break every bondage. And then when it comes time to receive the bread and the cup together, that we will have a whole new appreciation and reverence for what you have done for us and what you will do for us in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. Thank you, Lisa. The death of Jesus Christ is central to everything in my life. It's central to everything in your life. It's central to everything in history. It's central to all that is. As I told you just a few minutes ago, they have gathered, Jesus has gathered not to give them a lecture about the Passover, but 
to help them understand how the Passover pointed to him. Notice again with me in Mark 14, 12, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, unleavened was symbolic of, of them eating the bread in haste, but it was also symbolic of, since there was no yeast in it, of not being sin. When the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples ask him, where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? Passover was an annual meal that families gathered together in the Jewish community to celebrate. And it was a reminder given by God. It was a reminder our Jewish friends will be celebrating Passover in a few weeks. I'll talk more about that as we approach that time. But it was a reminder when they celebrated their deliverance from slavery to Pharaoh. It's a reminder of when they celebrated the birth of their nation, that as a nation they were born. It's a reminder that they were delivered not only from slavery, but this is important, they were delivered from economic bondage. They were delivered from physical bondage. They were delivered from someone that would just with a decided because it was time and there were too many of them that they would kill their firstborn children. Passover had a form. There were four cups of wine that were served during Passover. And where we pick up with the story, Jesus is actually serving the third cup of wine because mainly the meal has already been eaten. And so, at these four different points, the presider over the Passover, which would typically be the father, would explain what the meal meant to the family. And this time, Jesus is at that third cup of wine, and he begins to explain all the elements of the meal, which the disciples would have been very familiar with. But all of a sudden, he shows them the bread, and he says something so shockingly different than what they're used to. Read it with me in Mark 14 and verse 22. <clears throat> As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it, and then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, for this is my body. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Did he mean that his body literally became, that the bread literally became his body? No. Because all of the Jewish people would have understood, and my Jewish friends understand, that what Jesus was referring to was in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 3, and you can find these other verses in the app online, in your outline, where during the Passover you shall eat unleavened bread. It's the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt, and that all the days of your life you may remember the day you came out of Egypt. Well, all of a sudden, Jesus is pointing to what Passover points to. It's pointing to Him. It's what all of the feasts, it's what all of the, it's what all of the festivals, it's what all of the sacrifices, everything pointed to Jesus Christ, as we have looked at on Wednesday nights here in the church. And then He takes the cup, and I want you to read again with me, starting at Mark 14, verse 23, and He took a cup of wine, and He gave thanks to God for it. Read it with me. And he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood, which is, confirms the covenant between God and his people. Now, here's what he's saying, that this meal changed history for the Jews. This meal changed history for you, for God had said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. And the Jewish people at that time, by their own admission, many contemporary Jews admit and historians admit that they, they turned in and upon themselves, and, and rather than being a blessing to the world, they thought it would be better to be a dog than to be a Gentile like you and I. It's part of the reason that people had so many problems with Jesus and with the early church in those days is because they came to people like us that were not Jewish. Jesus died for the whole world. But he said, on this night, he says, what this meal is commemorating is not your deliverance from economic bondage. It's not your deliverance from slavery to man. It's not your deliverance from all of the other problems in the world. It's your deliverance from mankind, humankind's greatest problem. God is going to set us free and deliver us from our sins. Can we give him a hand of praise for that? That's what he's saying. This is not just economic salvation. But his death is coming to be the salvation of the world. And it's a good question to ask, why did Jesus have to die? Years ago in Georgia, I was asked to speak to some hospital staff, and the chaplain attended, and 
I talked about the blood of Jesus and how as Spirit-filled believers that you and I believe that God still heals the sick today. And I told a little funny story how I went to the hospital one time in the old days. I never dreamed I would be able to say that. But in the old days, you went to the hospital and there was a Rolodex on the, or a card holder on the hospital counters. And if you looked at the hospital through the cards, you could find out who was in the hospital, maybe from your church or something like that. Well, one day the Baptist pastor, and in the South, it's just cool to be a Baptist. And the Baptist pastor, they had this big box up there. I had this little bitty box with just a few names for the Assemblies of God. And he looks over at me. He's a tall, big guy. And the nurses or the receptionist is sitting there. And he says, hmm, the Assemblies of God is not very big compared to the Baptists, are they? And I looked at him and I said, no, sir, we believe in divine healing and you don't. <laughs> I thought that receptionist was going to fall out of her chair laughing. But I was speaking to the staff and I told them that and I said, you know, we believe that by the blood of Jesus, His stripes, we have been healed and so we pray for people. And I explained that a little bit, why we prayed the way we prayed and and then the chaplain later is talking to me, and he says, why does it have to be so gory? Why does it have to be bloody? Well, friends, there's a reason for that. I was spoke at a hospital here to some staff, and again, I got challenged on the same thing. Pastor Rick and I attended a, a seminar that we were asked to attend at one of the local hospitals close by, and there the chaplain asked us not to ever talk about the blood of Jesus. And I said, well, then we can't come and pray with people in this hospital, and because we believe that by His stripes we were healed. We believe there's power in the blood of Jesus. And by the way, you can't be saved unless you come through the blood of Jesus. The Bible makes that very clear. Well, we've been asked and told it was, we are always welcome to come and pray with people because I also said we'll recommend people not to come to this hospital if you don't believe or won't let us pray in the blood of Jesus. Never, ever, ever be ashamed of the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Can we give him a hand of praise for that as well? So why the blood? It's simple. People need a Savior. People need the Lord. We are sinners together, and the blood of Jesus was shed for our redemption. It was shed so that we could be bought back, purchased back, that the price could be paid for our sins. If you remember, and I'm sure you do from reading your Old Testament, how the, the blood was applied to the, it was called the covering of the ark, the atonement, the mercy seat, how the blood was applied. It was so that the blood would look forward to Christ because it was faith in God. It was sincere repentance that brought about repentance of sin for the children of Israel. But it was always looking forward to something. In Leviticus 17.11, again, this is not in your outline, Moses says, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by life. You see, blood is the very essence of life. Somebody tell me what the name, what the slogan of the blood drives, the Red Cross is. Give life. Who said that? You said it, Bill. Give life. Say it with me. Give life. Without blood, there is no life. If you cut off blood to the flow of any part of your body, it's going to become gangrenous. Your body part will literally begin to rot and to die. I went and prayed with a man from our church years ago that the blood flow was cut off from a certain part of his body and gangrene set in because without blood there is no life. And he had to go through the, the pain and the sorrow of an amputation. And dear friends, understand this, without the blood of Jesus, sin is creating a gangrenous effect in our societies where we are losing contact with life. The further the culture gets away from the cross, the further the culture will not understand what life truly is. There is no way that any of my human efforts, there's no way my church attendance, there's no way my stewardship, there's no way my witnessing, there's no way my preaching of the gospel makes me good enough for heaven. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ shed for our sins. That's what prepares us. Well, go ahead and give him a hand of praise. You see, the blood of Jesus is so powerful and so precious 
And we are so helpless in the face and the power of sin. And what Jesus does, number two, is He demonstrates His love for us by becoming the sacrificial Lamb of God. Now, I believe that they had a lamb at this meal, but it's interesting. It's interesting that the Scripture doesn't ever talk about the lamb. They talk about, the Scripture talks about the cup. The Scripture talks about the bread. But no mention is made of the lamb. So at the third cup, when I, and let me back up, I'm getting ahead of myself. So when I go to someone's house for dinner, I usually don't talk about the bread. I usually don't talk about the vegetables. I talk about two things. I talk about the meat and I talk about the dessert. And if you have bad coffee, I talk about you. (laughs) I went to one family's uh, home for lunch in our church, and they said, Pastor, I made coffee for you. I said, thank you. I took a sip of coffee, I set it down, and I never touched it again. She finally looked at me, she says, it's bad, isn't it? I go, it's terrible. I said, I'm sorry, I can't drink it. She goes, I knew it was bad. I just wanted to see if you would drink it anyway. I go, I can't drink it. I said, I'll throw up. And I almost said the color of your carpet. You would know who I was talking about. And I don't want to embarrass them because they're here. I I said, I'll throw up. So they went and got me a a Coca-Cola. And I drank that Coca-Cola. You see, we must understand the absence of the lamb in this meal is important. Because Jesus is saying he is the sacrificial lamb. It's not the lamb that would have been slaughtered at the market and bought to the Passover meal. But Jesus has become for us the lamb of God. And if we want to understand the meaning of Jesus' death, we have to look at Passover. Because that's where this meal came from. Because in Passover, it's like you get a mini glimpse, and in a few days, you'll be reading about Passover and Easter in the newspaper, and some of you from time to time, you've asked me, say, Pastor, what was Passover? And today, I'll be teaching Discovering Woodland, and I won't spend as much time with it today, but I always talk about Passover and Discovering Woodland. And so, Passover was that preview of what the day of the Lord is going to be like. Passover is that preview of what the day of judgment is going to be like, because Israel are in captivity to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh kept changing his mind and saying, I won't let him go. I won't let him go to worship God. So God finally declares to him, he says, Pharaoh, I am going to send the angel of death. He is going to come through this community. He's going to take away the firstborn of not only your children, but of all of your livestock. He says to Moses, you tell the people that if they'll apply the blood to the doorpost and the lintel, the frame across the top of their doors, when I see the blood, I will pass over them. Your homes will not be spared, but if you don't apply the blood to your homes, then even your children will be taken. Evidently, some of the Egyptians by now through all of these plagues, they believe because the Bible is very clear in recording that there were Egyptians who left Egypt with the Israelites. Friends, hear me this morning. You have more influence than what you know, but you lose your influence when you stray from the cross. You gain your influence when you stay close to the cross and the preaching of the cross. And so even Egyptians began to slaughter a Passover lamb, and that night when the angel of death came through, he passed over. He passed over because of the blood. You and I are not condemned for our sins, not because of our good works, not because we're Americans, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why and what this meal represents, the sacrificial Lamb of God. Come for you, come for me. You see, that night, it wasn't a matter of good guys and bad guys like you see in the movies when they try to depict the Passover. Because in this world, there are no good guys and there are no bad guys. They're just better people and worser people. They're just people who need the Lord and some people who are meaner than others. Because evil, because of sin, runs through every one of our hearts. And although I know that people don't like to hear this, it's still the truth that all of us were born in sin. It's why when we take the communion, we're making a confession. We didn't save ourselves. We're not looking to the blood of a a little tiny lamb like Mary would have had 
or like Mopsy or Flopsy or you remember that girl on TV that did a children's show that had a little lamb puppet she called Lamb Chop? What a vulgar name to give to a lamb. Hi, Lamb Chop. Can you imagine what you would think of me if I went home and said to the cow, hello, roast beef? If that cow could understand, he'd knock me down. It's not the blood of a quadruped. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves and delivers from our sins. And these sacrifices, they look forward to that. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. Can't you feel these words? I mean, they just kind of hit me right in the gut. You can feel these words. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. Would you read this last verse with me? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. And you say, but pastor, why is it necessary? And that's a fair question. You know, my Jewish friends, they ask me that question and they get it. My Muslim friends ask me that question, and they get it. They may not believe it, but they get it. But my secular friends, and I don't say this with criticism, I say this hopefully to help us understand the culture in which we're living. Because the culture has gone so far from the cross that I frequently meet people in our community. They're three and four generations removed from the church or Frequently meet people in our community. They've never been in a church. Frequently meet people. The only time they've come to church is for a funeral or for a wedding. And in this culture, God has called you and I to be salt and light. And as we hurdle towards Easter, I've asked you to pray for three people and invite three people to come to church with you. You want them to hear the message on Easter Sunday, but I want to talk to you in case they ask you questions, and I also want to talk to you because I want you, and I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to understand the full import of what we're about to do. Why did he have to do it? And the Jewish people really get this, because the lamb was a substitutionary sacrifice. And all of those offerings, whether it was a dove, or whether it was a lamb, or whether it was a a cow, it was a substitutionary sacrifice. And I think you understand that better than perhaps you think you understand that. As someone who grew up crippled and had some terrible odors about me, there were people who became my friend that they lost friends for being my friend. They were mocked for hanging out with me, for being a friend to me. You see, there was a transactional Well, it wasn't even transactional because they didn't receive anything from it. There was a substitution that they made in my life in order to be my friend. There were times when I would be mocked and laughed at and called very vulgar names in a classroom, and there were always some students that would come to my side, and they would be jeered and mocked and made fun of, and then nobody wanted to have anything to do with them. And I learned very early, and I bet you did too, Cool kids hang out with cool kids. Isn't that right? The cool kids hang out with cool kids. If you're different, boy, you're in trouble. But you begin to see those people who love you like you are, like Steve Strange and Ricky English and Brad Fussell, like Tommy Hudgens, who came along and were my lifelong friends, and some of them are in heaven today. You see, I learned this in mental health when I was working as a mental health counselor. 
You can't help somebody that is emotionally broken. You can't help somebody that is spiritually wounded. You can't help someone without somehow or another sacrificing. You can't listen to the pain and the hurt and the agony of somebody who is empty spiritually, empty emotionally, empty of hope, empty of faith, empty of joy. You can't Help them unless you're willing to sacrifice by pouring into their lives. And you know the feeling if you've ever done any ministry like that, that when you walk away, you ask yourself, I've not done anything physical. Why am I so exhausted? You're feeling the effects of being a substitutionary sacrifice of pouring in to someone else's life. You see, if I refuse to be involved with hurting people, I'll save my life, but I'll ultimately lose my life. Jesus says if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life for the sake of the gospel, and what is the gospel? That God loves lost people. That Jesus Christ came into this world to save us from our sins. And in order to do that, he had to be crucified. And unlike Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius, he died in shame upon a cross, but he took the sins of us all upon himself and died as a substitutionary sacrifice for us. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? Let's read it again. Go back to that verse from Isaiah. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. One more time, read with me. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. How do you overcome evil? How do we overcome the evil in this world? I know the Bible says, be ye not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. But where does that goodness that you and I have, since the Apostle Paul makes it very clear, there is no good thing that dwelleth in this flesh of mine. And again, the further the culture gets from the cross, the less we understand that. He's not denigrating good works. He's not denigrating even the good works that lost people do. But there's nothing that can save us but the blood of the Lamb. And what can take self-centered people and make them willing to become sacrificial, substitutionary sacrifices in order to minister to the hurting, the wounded, the broken, the oppressed, to bring justice into an unjust world. What can do that? What can change the heart of a man? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, I think, got this in those marvelous children's stories of Narnia. And if you've ever read them to your children or you've watched the movie about Aslan the lion who through no sin of his own, no evil of his own, he decided to die in the place of another and all of the wicked ones rejoiced because now Aslan the Almighty, Aslan the All-Powerful, Aslan was going to die. And Lewis wrote in the witch in the war, lion witch in the wardrobe, he says, when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in the traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. You see, when Jesus died at the cross and he descended to the regions of the dead, he descended into hell and he took the keys of death and hell from the devil, death began to reverse itself. For death came into this world when Adam and Eve sinned and life came into this world through Jesus Christ and and eternal life is spreading to all who put their faith in the Lord Jesus today. That's why we live forevermore. And I'm telling you, something happened. It wasn't a table that cracked, but the earth cracked. 
Graves were opened. The veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. Everything shook because when Jesus died, the table cracked and death began to be reversed and life came through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Somebody praise God this morning. Hallelujah. Am I the only one excited about this this morning? I'm telling you, I need to slow down. We need a Savior. You can't overcome evil with hate. You can't overcome evil with prejudice. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care if you're black, Hispanic, Oriental, white. Beneath this skin, your blood runs the same color as my blood. I don't know if Jesus was a white man. I doubt very seriously Jesus was a white man. He was a Semitic Jew. I believe he was very dark-skinned. And I believe that Jesus shed his precious blood for me. You're not going to overcome evil with prejudice. You're not going to overcome evil with lies. You're not going to overcome evil and make this world a better place by telling children before they're really old enough to know what they're doing, you can change your sexual orientation through surgery. Australia is allowing a little four-year-old boy to change his sex because his parents said he said he wanted to be a girl. People in our country are saying today, don't tell the parents, but we'll call them by a girl's name at school. I didn't want my nine-year-old daughter even knowing the word sex. I didn't want my nine-year-old boys knowing the word sex. What has happened in this world when lost people are trying to force sex down the mouths of our children? It's because the further we get from the cross the further we get from understanding what life is all about. <clears throat> I'm in no way saying that with hatred towards anybody. I'm saying it because I truly believe they have forgotten the power of the blood of Jesus and because some in the church and some denominations have rather compromised and followed the culture. There is no power in the culture. There is power in the blood of the Lamb. Power in the blood of the Lamb. <clears throat> Look, John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is my blood. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Well, let me wrap this up this morning. How do I receive the Lord's Supper? It's interesting to me that Jesus says, I want my death remembered through a meal. And the early church was very good about, they had a full meal. Rick, come on up and help me, buddy. Today, we take the bread and we take the cup and get me a wafer, please, Rick. I just coughed on my hand. Jesus says, and it's unusual, don't you think? I want my death remembered through a meal. The only time I really think about someone's death in a meal is for a funeral dinner. We do a lot of those here at the church. We talk about the person. But Jesus takes Passover and he says, as often as you do this, I want you to think about me. As often as you do this, I want you to remember what you've done. And then he explains the meal. My beautiful wife is a fabulous cook. By the way, I did lose some weight this week. For those of you who were here last week, we started our 40-day fast, and I was very strict. I gained a pound and a half. I don't know how you do that on a fast, but I did. I lost a pound and a half this week. <clears throat> Becky's a fabulous cook. When people come to our house, 
We have guests. A lot of times, Becky will say to me, she'll say, Dennis, go gather everybody, and then I will explain to them how the meal's going to go. And so I go do what I do, which isn't much. I whistle and gather everybody together. And then Becky explains the meal. And Jesus gets up and he takes and he begins to explain this meal. And here's the deal. I have never seen any time in our home where Becky has prepared a meal where Becky had to say, y'all eat. People dive in. People like Rick go back, not for seconds, but thirds. I mean, people eat. Becky sits there like the proud southern matriarch that she is, and she beams because everybody is enjoying the meal. People say, let us help you clean up. And Becky says, no. We just want to do this. Oh, no, we'll help. She goes, nope. She says, we're going to do this. And boy, does she mean we. And so we clean up. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread, Mark 14, 22. Jesus took some bread and blessed it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples and says, this is my body. It doesn't mean it became the literal body. But he said, I want you to remember when you eat this meal, I want you to remember when you break this bread that a body was prepared for me according to the Old Testament for sacrifice. And I'm giving my life. I'm the substitutionary sacrifice. So how are we saved? We depend only upon Christ, not ourselves. We depend upon what Jesus accomplished. Sometimes people tell me horrible stories. They're not a Christian because they could never be good enough. They're not a Christian because they just couldn't stay disciplined enough. Oh, friend, I want you to understand this morning, it's not how good you can be. It's not how committed you are to God. It's how committed God is to you. Can I say that again? It's not how committed you are to God. It's how committed God is to you. Our first apartment in 1976, we lived next to a train track. We got used to it. We'd have friends and guests over, and that train would come hurtling down the track, and they'd come up out of their chairs. What is that? It was the train. I mean, it just no longer bothered us. And Rick, I think that's what you meant. He said, sometimes we get so used to it, we don't realize what's hurtling towards us every time we take this. Listen, I know I've gone a little long, but don't you check out on me. Paul says that some of you are sick and dying because you don't discern this correctly. Now you're going, oh my gosh. I'm going, oh my goodness. Because in the first Passover, the Scripture says that He will take away the curse and He will make our food and He will make our drink a blessing to us. If we take this with the right heart, there is power and there is healing in this for you and I today. By His stripes, we were healed. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes I go back to Macon and I see people that I grew up with when I wasn't one of the cool kids. Now they come up and want to be my friends. Now they come up and say, oh, I've known him all my life. You know what? Jesus knew me when I wasn't cool. He knew you when you weren't cool. He knew me at my worst, and he still committed himself to me. Oh, how he loves you and me. 
Then he says something else that's really unusual. Read this with me. In Mark 14, 25. I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it in the kingdom of God. You're saying, Pastor, I've heard that so many times. What are you going to tell me that I don't already know? I don't know. But let's try this. Jesus is making a blood oath. That was a common thing to do in those days, to make a blood oath. In Acts 23, there was a group of Jewish men who said, we will not eat and drink until we have killed Saul or the Apostle Paul. We will not eat or drink. What they're saying is, we are so committed to this, we will die if we don't kill him. We're so con- we take this blood oath. We will not. They took a blood oath. And that's what Jesus was saying. I am so committed to blessing you. I will not drink this again until I drink it with you in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> and then he went to the cross and he did exactly what he said he would do. It gets even weirder. From the book of Genesis, I believe it was chapter 15. I could be wrong there. But in the book of Genesis, Abraham makes a sacrifice. God tells him, says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice. I want you to stay awake. And then in the middle of the night, while Abraham is chasing away the carrion birds that would have devoured the sacrifice, God's presence appears, and God passes between the pieces, the two halves of the sacrifice. And what God was saying, Abraham, I will die before I refuse to bless you and bless your children. It is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to die. And what Jesus is saying to you, I know you're going to fail me. I know you're going to desert me. No, Lord, I will never do that. I know you will deny me three times before the rooster crows even twice, but I will meet you in Galilee after I'm raised from the dead. God will meet you where Wherever you fail at, God will meet you at the point of your need because God is committed to blessing you and me today. Hallelujah. (coughs) So for the person who says, I'm not good enough. So for the person who says, I can't. For the person who says, the roof will fall in. There's good news for you. God is is committed to blessing you. But it does no good unless you eat it, unless you drink it. We do this as a family. Passover was for family. (laughs) I called my mama yesterday, laughed and talked with mom. I said, Mom, spring's almost here. It's time for you to come to Michigan. She says, is it above 60 yet? I said, not yet. She said, when it gets to 65, I'll come. I called my sister and her husband. Gary's going through chemo treatment right now, and I read him some verses from the Bible and prayed with him, and he said, Dennis, send me those verses. My other sister, she and her husband are away. And then last night, Becky and I Skyped our grandsons. I miss my family so much. They were showing us all the different things and telling us about all their adventures. And then Davin says, Papa, when are you coming back? And I say that to Jesus so often. When are you coming back? Lord, come quickly. Can you say amen? I'm going to ask those who are going to help us to serve if you would come this morning and you would take these elements from Pastor Rick and Corey and or Mark, whoever's helping him, while I meet with one more, give you with one more thought while they're sharing. We say Maranatha because we're going to eat this meal with expectancy today. We're going to eat this meal with expectancy. I can't wait for Mama to come. I can't wait to see my grandsons. Isn't it amazing? Being a grandparent is the greatest thing in the world. I never talk about going to see Andrew and Dana or Chris and Rachel. I talk about going to see my grandsons now. I get it. I used to didn't get it. 
I love doing ministry, but I can't wait for Jesus to come. You can go ahead and serve. I tell you the truth. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then look with me at 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 while you're being served. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you react in your words and actions the death of the Master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the Master returns. But you must never let familiarity breed contempt. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me. Lord, we worship you. Lord, unlike those disciples, at that last supper that changed the world, we have known and been taught these things. But you have reminded us again today of what these few minutes that we spend You have reminded us again of the meaning of your death and your resurrection. You are not being crucified over again as we take this meal. For you have become our Passover lamb. You are the once and forever sacrifice for the sins of all human beings. And to all who trust in you, they will be saved. So now, Lord, we discern that it was your body that you substituted yourself for us and you took what we deserved to the cross. Would you break this bread and would you let it be strength and healing and nourishment to you as you take it in Christ's name? Hallelujah. Father, it's not because I feel sorry for animals. I am just so thankful that the blood of Jesus was sufficient. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. It's not the blood of lambs and turtle doves. It's the blood of Jesus. And I will never, ever be ashamed of the blood. But my confidence today does not rest in my commitment to you or in this church's commitment to you it rests in that you said I will never drink this again until I drink it with you that's me that's them you are committed to saving us now and forever so come quickly Lord Jesus would you drink with me now? God so loved the world. Well, not bad for a snack, right? Oh, I bet that little girl will grow up to appreciate what this is all about. I want to read a pastoral blessing over you before you're dismissed today. And I take this from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is the gospel in the nutshell in the Old Testament. It's the book we just read about the suffering Messiah. So Lord, I pray this prayer of blessing right from the word of God over your people. 
Lord, your people will live as long as trees. They will not work in vain. Their children will not be doomed to misfortune. For we are a people blessed by the Lord, and our children too will be blessed. And you will answer us before we even call. And while we are still talking to you about our needs, you will go ahead and answer our prayers. May we walk in this blessing that God has given us for our children and grandchildren. Amen, amen, and amen. The Lord bless you. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. God bless you. I'll see you later.